Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big 5D podcast. I'm Charles Laughlin, your host, and I'm also content director for Big 5 Digital, which is the producer of this podcast. So we're all about having conversations with those who are building, investing in, or taking to market the digital products and services designed to make micro, small, and medium-sized businesses more successful in Africa and the Middle East. So I want to thank our sponsor today, Duda which is a no-code platform designed for agencies. So if you're interested in learning more about building websites on Duda, look for them on duda.co. Really want to talk about our guest today, Caitlin Craig from Untapped Global. We're going to have a conversation all about revenue-based financing, which is a very interesting subject. Caitlin was a recent speaker at our conference and has a lot to say about this very interesting way to finance businesses in Africa. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big 5D Podcast. I'm joined today by Caitlin Craig, who is head of private capital markets at Untapped Global. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Charles. Thanks for having me. Great. So for those who weren't at our recent event in Cape Town, the Big 5 Summit, you were one of our speakers, very well received. Uh, I thought we'd kind of cover some of that ground because obviously, you know, if you weren't at the event, you couldn't hear what you had to say. And learn about Untapped. So why don't we just start there? Tell us what is Untapped, what you do, and what sets you apart. Perfect. Yeah, I can dive right in. Uh, So Untapped is a global investment company. We are uh, focused on emerging markets and really specifically Africa. And what we're trying to do is really reshape how profitable investing is done uh, within the markets we operate. We really focus on high growth companies that are asset heavy and we offer them a revenue-based financing uh, investment model that uh, allows us to track the health of the assets and the health of the business we finance through data. So a bit of a unique model that's different than traditional venture capital or, uh, or, or financing in general, trying to address some of the problems that exist in the markets around previous investing models. Okay, so a couple things there. One is yeah. let's just start make it easy and start with a few examples of the types of companies you already invest in and how it sort of sure. exemplifies a, a likely uh, recipient of your investment. Exactly. Yeah. I like to say there's lots of buzzwords in what we do. So it's best. Uh, Let, let's cut through, through those. I like to cut yeah. through those as quickly as possible. Exactly. So we can cut through that through some examples. So the three key elements for us when it comes to investing is uh, the or financing is uh, the companies we work with have to have productive assets. So those are assets that generate revenue. The assets have to be tech enabled, meaning that there is an element of them that is trackable. Um, and that means that they produce data. So we're able to see the health of the asset and the revenue they're generating and how often it's being used. And that helps us address and analyze the, uh, the health of the asset and the business that's operating it. In a real world lens, what does that look like? Uh, an example is a company here in Cape Town, South Africa, where I'm sitting right now, uh, called iDrop. They're one of our operating partners, which is what we call our portfolio companies. And they operate something called a water pod, which is a pay-per-use water filtration device. And they take their water pods and they put them in mom and pop shops around South Africa, in some uh, larger grocery retail stores, and, uh, and they have run a model where they service those machines 
uh, and people can come in and they can buy clean water for low cost. So it is one brand per liter, which is much less expensive than buying the big three liter bottles that you often see people have to purchase when they don't have access to fresh and clean water. How we come into play with that is we finance the production and the manufacturing and the acquisition of those water pods up front. And iDrop will go and put the water pods in the shops. And when someone comes and purchases a, a few liters of water, a percentage of that revenue, top line revenue goes to the shop that uh, the water pod is in. A percentage goes to iDrop for uh, monitoring it and keeping it healthy. And then a percentage goes to us for financing it. So it's a split. Okay. So let's focus on this one company just for a moment. Um, very interesting. Talk about what attracts you. I mean, you, you're attracted to the recurring revenue model that you can get your money back from. I, I, that mm -hmm. has to be there, right? The yeah. uh, stream of data that you know exactly what the performance of the business is, that mm -hmm. has to be there. But what's interesting here is the clean water element. So is there an impact box that you have to tick with these companies that you invest in? And talk about that a little bit. And what Sure. What problem is this solving? I, clean water is always a problem everywhere in the world. It's mm -hmm. cute in Africa, right? Um, yeah. But just kind of talk about how you come at a company like this and what are the factors that attract you to it? So I, it's a really interesting question because impact is always part of the conversation when investing in Africa and we're, we're often asked about it. So right. the one lens we always look through and what we measure around impact is revenue generated in the local economy. Because the end user of our, the assets we finance are almost always uh, small entrepreneurs and the assets we finance should help them do their jobs or help them earn revenue. In the case of iDrop, the, the end user would be that mom and pop shop who is providing a service for their customers of access to fresh water. So we're able to measure how much revenue, this extra revenue, this mom and pop shop is making because they have access to the iDrop machine, which goes in their store and the money goes directly into their pockets. Okay. So when we look at the different asset classes, we're looking at uh, the element of how can we enable these small entrepreneurs to do their jobs uh, or provide a job through access to this asset that they might not have access to without financing. Okay. And iDrop, is it mostly through like informal shops or is it through grocery, grocery, all of the above? Talk about the distribution. So they are predominantly through, uh, it's actually quite a mix. So between mom and pop shops, so they call them spouse shops here in South Africa, um, but they're in some chain uh, grocery stores as well. But most of those grocery stores are franchised. So it's still um, smaller entrepreneurs who are running these shops. Um, and they partner with these small entrepreneurs that are running the different grocery stores, corner shops, all of it. Right. And is there, a, this may seem like an odd question, but is there a common hardware component to all of the um, businesses you invest in in order to get the, to extract the data you need? How is that? Is there a standard way that's done across all of your portfolio companies? Do you talk about how you, I guess, for lack of a better term, monitor your investments in order mm -hmm. to get your money back? For sure. So across uh, the the categories of assets that we finance um, are quite broad, but where we've really realized we've hit the sweet spot is actually in mobility. So um, speaking, iDrop doesn't fit into that category, but it's still a great asset class for us, clean water and filtration. Um, but we finance a lot of motorbikes. So two-wheelers, right. three-wheelers, which are tuk-tuks in different countries. Um, and 
the, in order for us to monitor the data, each of the businesses we work with who operate those assets, so they operate the fleets of motorbikes or they operate eyedropment uh, operating the water pods, they all have to be tech enabled, meaning that they often have their own platform that they use to monitor their assets because they're right. operating them. So that commonality could be the tech element in the fact that they have their own platform, but most of these uh, devices have IOT devices that track them. So the water pods have an IOT device that measures the usage and how much revenue it's producing. The, the motorbikes often have trackers on them. Right. So to, uh, the companies can see where they're going, how far, what their limit is. Um, and those trackers, sometimes there's more than one on them. Sometimes they use, uh, it might be an Uber Eats driver that's driving the motorbike that we're financing. And we can see where they're going because we can see the data coming from Uber. So for us, as long as we are able to track the movement and track the usage of the assets, uh, that, that provides us the insight that we need to make investment decisions. Okay. Um, but as far as unique ones go, we don't have, it, it's not consistent across all. You of don't have your own uh, platform or device or whatever. Yeah. I, I kind of assumed that. So one of the things you evaluate in a business is how sophisticated is their own tracking technology and how easily can you connect to it? Exactly. Exactly. And that's a really big part of our due diligence process is can we access the level of data quality that we need in order to scale investment with this business? Okay, that makes complete sense. Could you talk, you mentioned mobility. That's interesting because mm -hmm. there's a lot of mobility plays in Africa. Uh, yeah. Talk about it. If there's one you can talk about or a couple you could talk about that their business For sure. exists on motorbikes in some way. Exactly. Yep. Um, so there's a few different models that we look at. Uh, one of them is a traditional mobility model where um, in, in Uganda, we work with a company called the SOC that does um, uh, leasing of motorbikes out to gig workers. So it's a very simple business model. Uh, an Uber Eats driver needs to rent a motorbike. You, to do you mentioned job, Uber Eats. So Uber Eats is one of the and uh, one of the beneficiaries of this. Exactly. In Uganda. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, or the equivalent of whatever Uber Eats is in that right. country. There's lots of them. Um, <laughs> there's lots of them, yeah. Mr. D in South Africa, all of them. Uh, and so they would go to a SOC, our operating partner, and they would rent a motorbike on a da daily or weekly uh, reoccurrence to be able to do their job. That's one model. Okay. The other model is uh, last mile logistics. So there's a company in Zambia called Afri Delivery that we work with and they do last mile delivery of goods. So getting, if someone can go onto their app and say, I forgot to buy milk and they can order it on their app and the Afri delivery driver will go to the corner shop, pick up their milk and drop it off at the house and they pay a, or shop and they pay uh, a delivery fee for what that is. How we work into that model is we finance their delivery bikes and trucks uh, and three wheelers up front they put them in the hands of their delivery drivers. Deliveries are booked on the app. They go from point A to B to drop off the goods and we share in that delivery fee. So for every delivery, there's a fee and we take a percentage of that as our payback. Who's who's the owner of the bike? I'm sorry, <laughs> in this scenario. The, in this scenario. So the owner of the bike is Afri delivery on paper, but we own the right to the revenue stream that it produces over the agreed term time. So, so just, I, I just am <laughs> curious, I, I've covered a company called Move in Nigeria, mm -hmm. I believe, and yeah. that the idea there is help them own, in this case, the car, right? Um, yeah. Is that ever a component of what you do? And talk about the difference between those two approaches. Yeah, yeah. So some of our at the 
well, if we take it back at the end of our term time, we take, so we take a percentage of revenue uh, that this asset is producing mm-hmm. at the end of the term time, uh, which means, which is the agreed time we're going to share in the right. revenue, the operating partner will own the asset. So that means that after delivery will own the asset, iDrop will have own our rights to the revenue on, on the water pod machines. Um, a stock will, will own it. In some cases, they, we work with companies like Move who run that lease to own model. So an example of that is Max in Nigeria, who we mm-hmm. work with, and they are on a lease to own model. So the end entrepreneur owns the asset at the end. So the gig worker is basically paying it off. Okay. So it really depends for us operating partner to operating partner what their business model is. We would never change ask them to change their business model. Some is lease to own. Some of it is it's the different model. Do you, do you have a preference or is it very uh, specific to the business? I mean, is there, is there, a, is one better than the other, I guess is what I'm asking. It's, uh, we, we don't have a preference on it. I think um, impact wise, some people prefer the least to own model, which is great for an entrepreneur to have it at the end. More, it has more of an empowering sound to it, at least, you know, you're exactly. giving them an asset at the end of it instead of just rights to a bike that they can use to make a, a buck. Right. And that, and it depends on the model. For Moves model, mm-hmm. lease to own works. For app delivery, it doesn't work because they're operating a delivery company. Um, right. And so they the they revenues wouldn't to, be sufficient to. Okay. It, and and in app delivery's model, they're they're paying drivers to do deliveries for them. Right. Um, so it doesn't make sense for them uh, for the drivers to own that the assets uh, finance okay. through app delivery. Yeah. It, it, are there drivers who bring a bike with them and? So it's only a portion of their uh, talk about that. I mean, in that particular mm-hmm. business is, you know, what yeah. is it? 99% of them are using the least bikes or is it some different makeup? Within a free delivery? Yeah. I mean, how so many bring their own bike and then that can bypass yeah. this whole thing? Uh, it, so it depends. I don't know the exact number within other businesses. Afri Delivery owns all of their um, all of their fleets. So it's a condition they, of being a driver, have, essentially. So a driver uh, could have his own bike, but he couldn't they bring have to it to Afri Delivery. Uh, okay, got it. Got yeah, it. exactly. But then in that case, they're paid a commission. There's there's two things. There's they're just paid a salary or they're paid a commission, and it depends on. Um, which which type of vehicle they're driving so uh they need to drive the free delivery vehicles okay and they're not like line item charged for the leasing of the bike or is it just kind of baked into the into the cake so to speak yeah so they so the end user of the asset isn't charged at all the lease fee it's free delivery that's okay just clarifying that for my understanding yeah okay perfect yep Let's talk about where this goes, because what's interesting, I mean, there's lots of different business models you can imagine where there's an asset that is tied to the revenue generation. Um, where are you looking going forward? Uh, where is Untapped sort of, where are its eyes pointed towards in terms of businesses that could be uh, well-connected with this approach? And do you mm-hmm. feel like your approach has to change over time based on the way the economies evolve, the digital economies evolving mm-hmm. in Africa. Mm-hmm. So within the context of who we're targeting to finance, um, we will probably narrow in a bit more around logistics and mobility Okay. because we realize that's, that's the best fit for our model. There's a few others, um, point of sale devices. So credit card machines fit our model quite well uh, as well, but mobility is what targets and in mobility alone, 
if we're just looking at motorbikes, that's a $9 billion industry within Africa. Okay. So there's a lot of opportunity for people. How much of that are you investing in now? Uh, that nine billion, you just barely scratched the surface of that, right? We barely have scratched the surface of it, and and uh-huh. and to that frame, we've only been operating this model for over two, just over two years now. So okay. it's really been testing out the model. How does it work? Which asset classes does it work with? Um, and that's where we're coming to the conclusion that mobility is where it works quite well. Now, where is the biggest opportunity in mobility? And the reason I ask that is I've mm-hmm. looked at a lot of these businesses in Europe and North America, for example, that do that you know, the, the 15 minute delivery I want, uh, you know, yeah. a bag of chips and a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of Coca-Cola or something delivered within yeah. 15 minutes. And it's somebody on a bicycle in Berlin or whatever. Those businesses have not been successful. Um, yeah. By and large <laughs> raised in yeah. gorillas is a great example, right? It's just a massive, massive amount of money, very cash mm-hmm. consuming business. So where, where are the sort of pitfalls? Where, where are the, are there shaky business models around mobility that you're trying to make sure you don't get caught up in? And yeah. where do you think are the sustainable, in any way you want to consider that term, sustainable business models around mobility in Africa? Where is the need greatest? Mm-hmm. Where is this, this greatest strength of business model? Yeah. So I would say the biggest difference between the European mobility market and the African mobility market is what problem they're solving. Right. In in Europe, they're solving that convenience issue. It's not um, a problem. It's not a problem. It's, it's not as much a problem. <laughs> it's a need. Maybe it's a perceived it's, need, perhaps. But it's exactly. not a problem. It's not literally a problem. It, exactly. And within Africa, these large African cities, they're solving infrastructure issues. So uh, getting something from A to B is not easy in right. uh, across the continent, and it also is very expensive. So there's a huge gap in the market for solving that problem and a huge opportunity. Where we see that opportunity is it's uh, in the short and medium term, it'll be uh, these motorbikes, through wheelers and trucks that are getting things from A to B. And the, the models of the gig worker economy is going to continue to grow because people will need to go on their phone and say, I need to have this bag of concrete that I need delivered to my house because I'm uh, a contractor who forgot to buy, I'm missing one bag of concrete and they need it delivered. And it's going to take them way too long to get to the store because of all the traffic, potholes in the roads, all of it. Instead, I'd rather just have someone deliver it to me. So there's definitely that level of it where the infrastructure is being supported through this mobility economy. And that's a big opportunity for us. That exists in almost every large African city and in, and in the smaller ones as well. So there's this constant need for more motorbikes and more three wheelers and more small trucks to get things from A to B that need financing to get there because the traditional uh, financing models don't work for these businesses. Tr- VCs at the moment are looking for tech businesses. They want asset light. And these businesses that are building these fleets and this logistics are very asset heavy. So it doesn't work well for traditional VC. Right. If you're looking at banking, these banks are often taking six, eight, 10 months to service these, uh, these fleet operators, which means their timing is way too long. Uh, and it also doesn't work and they miss their opportunity to close a big deal. So we're really trying to solve that financing problem for these big mobility operators and logistics operators to help them get access to capital in a way that works for them and works for us on our return. Okay. So how do you approach equity in the business? Because it feels like you're 
providing funding and then getting paid back through the asset. What is your equity position in most of your, talk about how you approach equity. Yeah. So we don't traditionally take equity in the businesses because we're doing this revenue-based financing. We're paid back through the revenue they produce. It's more of a debt model than anything else. Um, Some of our businesses we have an equity share in, but that's much more strategic on our side because they might be scaling to multiple markets and it'd be great for us to be an equity partner. But also we have a lot of insight into these businesses through their data that we can see how well they're growing and how they're doing. And it makes sense to do an equity investment. Okay, so a business that has scale potential, that has exceptionally sophisticated data streams that you can analyze. Could you, are you able to give me a couple examples of equity positions you have, names of companies? I can't at the moment. Um, I don't know what I'm, okay. what I'm allowed to say at the moment. Okay, well, but we'll skip that. Say, but, oh, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, what, um, what I can say is that it's not a long-term strategy for us as far as smart asset financing goes to have an equity share in it. It might be something, a separate fund. That You're I not pivoting to, to, to become an equity VC or anything like that. Okay. No, yeah, in yeah. the future, we might set up an, an, an equity fund, but that's uh, right now we're focusing on the revenue-based financing model. Okay. What do you think um, now at our conference, Zach George, who spoke, who mm-hmm. you know, launched Africa and different company, mm-hmm. everyone, I think everyone knows who he is, um, kind of, talked up revenue-based financing a little bit in his remarks. Um, Interesting. Wasn't super specific about his involvement, if any, if at all, with it. But um, what do you think is the future of that model in Africa's, you know, everyone talks about venture funding in Africa. This is, I don't want to use the word outlier, but it's not Mm -hmm. what everyone's doing. Let's just say that. No. What do you think the future of it is? Will there be more... uh, of this type of funding. Um, I mean, it seems like a very specific set of criteria that it makes sense for. Do you, mm-hmm. Could you see others coming in and doing it in a different way? Do you think it'll be a bigger piece of the funding pie in the future or not? And for why? sure. No, for sure. We we are banking on it that it, it will be. Um, yeah. We think it's a great solution for the um, emerging markets because of a lot of the reasons I was previously talking about. Um, we look at it through the lens of uh, as something that can solve a lot of financing issues on the continent. Um, I'm not sure what Zach George said, but I'm excited that he's. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I just remember he said, yeah. I think there's some potential there, basically. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay, great. Yeah. That's good to hear that some yeah. other people are speaking the same language as us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're hoping for is that more uh, funds across um, across emerging markets, across Africa, but then expanding outside of it are interested in revenue-based financing and interested in smart asset financing. So this tech-enabled approach to it mm-hmm. and that this tech platform that we're building that allows us to track the data could then become a solution for other funds who are looking to- So you think it could become a financing. white label of sorts to other funds? Exactly. And okay. because we have access to this global capital, bigger institutions, family offices who are channeling money through us, our goal is that eventually we can help channel that money out to other funds that are offering revenue-based financing for smart assets. Um, and they use our capital as a, as a way to make okay, it happen. That, that's interesting. So you, you say emerging markets primarily in Africa, if I heard you correctly. Um, mm-hmm. So talk about outside of Africa. Are your ambitions yeah. expansive? Outside of Africa? Yes, definitely. So at the moment, we're also in Mexico. We have two partners in Mexico. Um, and that's a market that we think we can grow a lot in in Latin America. There's a lot of need 
mm-hmm. in mobility itself. Um, and then looking at Southeast Asia as well. So uh, right. Indonesia would be a great market for us. We think there's a lot of opportunity there, but we aren't specialists in those markets. And so our goal is to find the partners and potentially funds who are specialists in those markets to source those businesses, become our partners and use our technology to help lower so you, that risk of the investments. It's almost like a partnership model outside of Africa. You, which you Exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, well, I think we're at about time. That's probably a good spot to end it at. Caitlin, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. And thank yeah, you for thank joining you for having me. Podcast. Of course. Written, and uh, hosted and everyone out there, thanks for joining us. Lachlan. And content director time. for Big Five Digital, which produces this podcast. If you're interested in learning about sponsoring an episode, please write to us at info at big5digital.org. And please subscribe to this podcast at the SMME Tech Report on Substack or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.